Wonderful to be back with everybody, at least uh, virtually. Would have been wonderful to see everybody in person, but uh, wonderful to connect with you. And uh, I love you, and uh, great, great to be together with you. When you think of Old Testament stories, which ones come to mind? Which ones are, are first on your list of great stories from the Old Testament? Uh, I often think of creation, of course, Noah's Ark. Uh, I love Abraham and Isaac, Moses and the Red Sea. That's a famous one. Jonah and the whale, and of course, uh, Daniel and the lions that we'll be talking about today. And you ask yourself the question, well, why are these stories so famous? Why, are they, why do they grip us so much? And one of the reasons is that they're incredible. They're just staggering stories. You don't typically have these kinds of events in our day and age. And the other reason that we love these stories so much is that they teach us about God, about his sovereignty, who he is. Uh, they're also great because the good guy wins, right? We always love a story where the good guy wins. But the other reason that I think that we love these stories so much is because they point us to Jesus Christ. Oftentimes, the Old Testament, the stories, what people talk about in the Old Testament is designed with the purpose of pointing us to Christ. So we ask ourselves the question, well, how does it do that? Allow me just three brief examples before we get to our story of Dan the Lion's Den to build a case for why the Old Testament points to Christ. And so as we read the Old Testament, as we go through it, as we study it in our private time or hear sermons about it, we should always be thinking, how is this preparing my heart for Jesus Christ? Noah's Ark, in Genesis 7, 7, it says, And Noah and his sons and his wife and his sons' wives with him went into the ark to escape the waters of the flood. And then Jesus picks up on that theme in Luke when he says in chapter 17, but first he must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation, just as it was in the days of Noah, so will it be in the days of the Son of Man. And the writer or writers of Hebrews 11:17, by faith Noah being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen in reverent fear, constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. So we see the, the image in the Old Testament and the promise in the New Testament being delivered. In the Old Testament, Noah built a wooden ark and everybody who went into that ark was brought through safety, through the calamity of the world, to safety. And so Jesus, in the same way, for those of us who are in Christ, the wooden cross, those of us that are in Christ are saved from the condemnation of the world and are brought to eternity with Christ. Another example of how the Old Testament uses symbolism to show us about the life of Christ is Jonah. Everybody knows Jonah and the whale, right? Every kid loves that story. And uh, in Jonah 1 and 17, it states, and the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. And Jesus picks up on this in Matthew 12. He says, for just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The Old Testament in Jonah was pointing towards Christ who would deliver on that. And the last one before we get to our, our talk on Daniel and the lion's den is Abraham and Isaac. In Genesis 22, it says, and Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on his son, on Isaac, his son. Do you know any other stories in the New Testament where a father places wood on his son's back 
who has to walk up to a mountain to a sacrifice. And that, of course, is Jesus. In John 19, and he, that is Jesus, went out bearing his own cross to the place called the place of a skull. Jesus says in John 5 and 39, he says, you search the scriptures because you think it is in these that you have eternal life, but the scriptures point to me. And so as we dig into the story of Daniel, I want to ask three questions to start off with. First off is, who does Daniel represent in this story? Next, who do the satraps represent in this story? And third, who does the king represent in this story? So as we go through and dig through this passage, keep those thoughts in the back of your mind. So if you have your Bibles with you, please turn to Daniel chapter 6. Daniel chapter 6, starting with the first five verses. It pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 satraps to be throughout the whole kingdom, and over them three high officials, of whom Daniel was one, to whom these satraps should give account, so that the king might suffer no loss. Then this dandy became distinguished above all the other high officials and satraps because an excellent spirit was in him. And the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. Now that's setting the stage for a lot of jealousy. These guys were furious that Daniel was going to hold them accountable. So in verse 4 it says, Then the high officials and the satraps sought to find a ground for complaint against Daniel with regard to the kingdom, but they could find no ground for complaint against, or any, against his kingdom, but they could find no ground or fault because he was faithful, and no error or fault was found in him. Then these men said, we shall not find any ground or complaint against this Daniel unless we find it in connection with the law of his God. So what's going on there? Daniel is being shown here as being a man who has no error or fault found in him. Now, that doesn't mean Daniel was sinless, but at least from the outside looking in, this was a man above all reproach. He was excellent in all the work that he had done. That reminds us of who Jesus is. In 1 John 3 and 5, it says, you know that he appeared in order to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. So in this story, Daniel is a type of Christ. He's pointing us towards who Christ and what Christ is going to be like. So that the people, when they saw the Messiah, be able to look back and think, oh yeah, it was like Daniel, that makes sense. This is grounds to believe that Jesus is in fact the Christ. One of the keys to living in exile, the key that we see here with Daniel, is to recognize that the default position of our culture on nearly every issue is at odds with what the Word of God teaches. And so these satraps are furious, and so the stage is set. They're only going to find fault in connection with the law of his God. In verse 6, it says, Then these high officials and satraps came by agreement. That word's going to come up over and over again. Let's keep that in the back of our minds. By agreement. Why are these guys agreeing so much? To the king and said to him, O King Darius, live forever. All the high officials of the kingdom, the prefects and the satraps and the counselors and the governors are agreed that the king should establish an ordinance and enforce an injunction that whoever makes petition to any god or man for 30 days except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions. Now, O king, establish the injunction and sign the document so that it cannot be changed according to the law of the Medes and Persians, which cannot be revoked. One of the key lessons we need to understand is that consensus 
does not equal truth. One of the challenges we face in the Western world is that when a growing number of people turn away from the Word of God on a particular issue, a particular topic, and begin to have more and more people that surround themselves and, and agree on this particular issue, doesn't make it right. The Bible is very clear. Thy word is truth. And so Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So let's not fall into that deception that just because agreement on certain issues does not necessarily constitute truth. Truth is found in a person and the word of God. So these satraps are there, and they are there to deceive the king. They're there to trick him. They're there to lie to him. They're, they're playing into his, his belief of being a great king and, yeah, I'm going to be number one. So who do the satraps represent in this story? Well, the satraps in this story represent Satan's kingdom and all those who are in favor of it, all those who are opposing the law of God. So we see that Daniel is symbolic of Christ, and the satraps are symbolic of Satan and the, the, the kingdom of Satan that's fighting against God, fighting against Christ, fighting against you and me. So that leaves the question, well, who's the king in this story? Who, who, does, who does he represent? Daniel 6 and 9 says, Therefore, King Darius signed the document and the injunction. And that gives us a clue as to who he is and, and what he's about. The challenge is that the king sins in making the edict in the first place. You can almost hear whispers of the Garden of Eden, when Satan tempts Eve and then in turn is tempted to Adam and how they give in. And so in this story, one of the challenges that the king is facing is that he's doing things his own way. He's not doing things God's way. He's living on his own, living in pride, and choosing and sinning against the law of God. And so in Romans 3.23, famous verse, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So who does the king represent in this story? Well, he represents you and me. He represents you and me. So as we continue on with this story, keep in mind that Daniel is pointing to Christ. Satraps, well, they're symbolic of the devil. And the king represents you and me. So as we dig through this, we'll see that brought up more and more. And uh, for me, uh, I know the lions is always the, the key highlight in this story. It's always the, the best part. But uh, uh, for me, when I look at this story, verse 10 is, is the key. It's the one that I, I absolutely love the most. Verse 10, when Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he went to his house where he had windows in his upper chamber open toward Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he had done previously. The key in understanding the success of Daniel's life, the key in understanding who Daniel is and why he is such a revered figure in the Bible is because Daniel didn't start a prayer life when the trial came. He continued his prayer life. Luke 5 and 16 says, but Jesus himself would often slip away into the wilderness and pray. It's a, it's a good question for us to ask ourselves. Am I a, a man of prayer? Am I a woman of prayer? Am I a child of prayer? Would other people, if they were commenting on our lives, would they say, oh yeah, that's a person of prayer? I love reading uh, Oswald Chambers. Uh, there's many, many great devotionals out there. One of them that I read is My Utmost Forest Highest. And uh, there's a great section that applies directly to this passage. And it's taken from Oswald Chambers' 
quotes on September the 10th. So every year uh, on that particular day, I, I read that through. And here it says, we presume that we will be ready for battle if confronted with a great crisis. But it is not the crisis that builds something within us. It simply reveals what we are made of already. Do you find yourself saying, if God calls me to battle, of course I will rise to the occasion. Yet you won't rise to the occasion unless you have done so on God's training ground. If you are not doing the task that is closest to you now, which God has engineered into your life, when the crisis comes, instead of being fit for battle, you'll be revealed as being unfit. Crises always reveal a person's true inner character, true character. And so one of the great encouragements that we have here is to ask ourselves, are we people of prayer or are we waiting for something big to happen then hoping that miraculously we'll be ready for a trial when we haven't spent the time to go through it properly? Daniel chapter 6, verse 11, as we continue on. Then these men came by agreement, there's that word again, and found Daniel making petition and plea before his God. Then they came near and said before the king concerned the injunction, O king, did you not sign an injunction that anyone who makes petition to any god or man within 30 days except you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions? The king answered and said, The thing stands fast according to the law of the Medes and Persians, which cannot be revoked. Then they answered and said before the king, Daniel, who was one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you or the injunction you have signed, but makes his petition three times a day. So what's happened? Now the king has realized his big mistake. His pride, his decision has cost Daniel his life. Now the, his own problems have created an issue for Daniel. And so now the king is desperate. So what's happened there? 1 Peter 2, 24, he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live for righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. And here's a great imagery. It's the king's own actions that send Daniel to his death. Very, very similar to our own actions who send Christ to his death on the cross. But he was pierced for our transgressions, Isaiah 53 and 5 says. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. Daniel 6 and 14 describes every world religion in one sentence. Every religion in the world falls under this one sentence in Daniel 6 and 14, and it's proof positive why Jesus Christ is unique. Jesus Christ is not like any other religion out there. Listen to Daniel 6 and 14. Then the king, when he heard these words, was much distressed and set his mind to deliver Daniel. And he labored till the sun went down to rescue him. What's happening there? The king now realizes he's screwed up. He's realized he's made a big mistake. He realizes that there's something he had to have attained that he didn't do. And now he's doing his own. He's doing everything he can on his own to try and make things right. And brothers and sisters, this describes every world religion. Every world religion is about you having to do something to reach 
God, nirvana, whatever the system implies. Only Christianity, true Christianity, offers salvation because of what Christ did, not because of what we did. The Bible says that Christ is our deliverer. Isaiah 61, verses one and two, the spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Here's the great truth. Jesus Christ does for us what we could never do for ourselves. And that's the gospel. That's why it's so unique. Now you think of Darius, he's got this huge problem. He's, got a, he's going up against the satraps, but he can't do anything. He can't change the situation. There's nothing he can do. You think back to another great story of the Old Testament, David and Goliath, right? The famous story. And who does David represent? Who does Goliath represent? And who do the Israelites represent? Sometimes we think, oh, it's, you know, David. David's us. We've got to be strong. We've got to go out there and fight our giants. But David was a shepherd, and Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. David, of course, is David, and Jesus is the son of David. So from a pure literary point of view, the Bible is pointing to say the symbolism here, the what's, what's happening in the David-Goliath story, it's pointing to Jesus. David is the type of Christ in that story. Goliath, of course, is the evil person who's taunting the people of God. So who are the Israelites? The Israelites in that story are you and me. We're not able to fight against Goliath. We're either too afraid or don't believe we can do it. So who goes out and fights the battle? David. No different than our faith. Jesus Christ goes out and wins the battle against Satan on our behalf. So let's see what happens in the rest of the story and see how Daniel and the king sort out their relationship. Daniel 6, verse 15. Then these men came by agreement, there it is again, to the king and said to the king, Know, O king, that it is the law of the Medes and the Persians that no injunction or ordinance that the king establishes can be changed. Then the king commanded, and Daniel was brought and cast into the den of lions. The king declared to Daniel, May your God, whom you serve, continually deliver you. Uh, as mentioned before, I'm a huge fan of Handel's Messiah. I just, I love it. I love it year-round. And you can hear a bit of Psalm 22, verse 8, within that section of it. If he delights in him, let him deliver him, right? And so that's the satraps who are laughing at Daniel. The king there is hoping that Daniel, that God's going to deliver him, but the satraps are siding with the Pharisees at the cross and are laughing, saying, this guy's going into a... He's going into a den of lions. The man's as good as dead. No different than when the Pharisees and the Romans were crucifying Jesus, thought that he was as good as dead as well. Daniel 6, verse 17, possibly the clearest image and connection between the Old Testament and the New Testament in this story. See if you can guess where this is from. And a stone was brought and laid on the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet and with the signet of his lords that nothing might be changed concerning Daniel. Sound familiar? Similar to Matthew chapter 27, and Joseph took the body and wrapped it in a clean linen shroud and laid it in his own new tomb, which he had cut in the rock. And he rolled a great stone to the entrance of the tomb and went away. 
later. So they went away and made the tomb secure by sealing the stone and setting a guard. So again, pointing to Christ, pointing to the, the exact same story of Christ being in the tomb. Daniel 6 and 18, then the king went to his place and spent the night fasting. No diversions were brought to him and sleep fed, fled from him. So similar to earlier, we talked about the, the road to Emmaus and how they said, but we had hoped that he that is Jesus was the one to redeem Israel. You can feel the sense of uh, disappointment. And it's something for us to evaluate, especially during the COVID crisis, especially when there's so much uncertainty in the world and so many things that we had hoped would have worked out. We can feel a sense of despondency, a sense of concern, a sense of worry. And we can even in our hearts say, well, I thought that God was going to blank. And we can fill in the blank, whatever that might be. But this is a word of encouragement to us. The story of Daniel is a word of encouragement that our God is fighting with us and fighting for us as we are faithfully continuing on in our prayer lives with him. Daniel 6 and 19, then at daybreak, the king rose and went in haste to the den of lions, very similar to when uh, Jesus rose from the dead and the disciples ran to the tomb in excitement to try and see what had actually happened. And then as we close out the story of Daniel, we can see the symbolism that is happening between Christ and between Daniel. Daniel 6, verse 21, where it states, then Daniel said to the king, O king, live forever. My God sent his angel and shut the lion's mouths, and they have not harmed me because I was found blameless before him and also before you, O king, I have done no harm. And that's an important similarity, an important pointing to Christ who is both sinless before God and, of course, before us as people. And then the great part, just before we get to the part where Brother Henry had read, then the king was exceedingly glad and commanded that Daniel be taken up out of the den. So Daniel was taken up out of the den and no kind of harm was found on him because he had trusted in God. And this is very similar to Jesus and his resurrection from the dead. But you know, in all Bible stories, they don't always end with the, the fun part. You know, when we think about David and Goliath, what happened after that? We think about Noah's Ark, what happened to all the people who weren't in the Ark? We think of Moses and the parting of the Red Sea, what happened to all of Pharaoh's armies when they tried to pass in afterwards? Same thing happens here in Daniel chapter 6 and 24. And the king commanded, and those men who had maliciously accused Daniel were brought and cast into the den of lions, they, their children, and their wives. And before they reached the bottom of the den, the lions overpowered them and broke all their bones. So that's reminiscent of Satan being defeated in the book of Revelation. The devil who had deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur. And later on, and they were tormented day and night forever and ever. So we look, and at the end, of course, is the similarity that Brother Henry read on the uh, eternal reign of Christ and how everything is, is sealed up at the end of that. So we see so many similarities between the Old Testament and the New Testament. To what end? We know that in this story, the life of Daniel, the life of David, the life of Moses, all these great here, Jonah, they point us to Christ. And it's doing that for a very specific reason. It's challenging us to ask ourselves the question, does my life point to Christ? 
Does my life point to Christ? If people that I'm working with, people that I'm uh, in traffic with, people that I'm talking with, my friends, do they feel inspired and encouraged to follow Christ because of my example? I'm a big 1980s Christian rock fan. If you're not, my sincerest uh, apologies. Uh, But Steve Camp was a big influence on my life. And uh, he had a great line that said, do our lives point the way to him? And so I want to encourage us in closing with that, that question, that as much as Daniel's life pointed to Christ, we need to ask ourselves as well, are we people that are continually in prayer, continually to surrender to Christ? Because then when the crises come, Christ in you, the hope of glory, will shine for people to see and shine for people to recognize that it's Christ in us and that they too will be drawn to a deeper walk with Christ. Dare to be a Daniel, dare to stand alone, dare to have a purpose firm, dare to make it known. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your love for us. Thank you for all these fantastic and amazing and awesome and humbling stories throughout the entire Old Testament. Thank you that they point to Christ. And Lord, inasmuch as all these fantastic stories pointed to Christ, Lord, you want our lives to point to you. And so I pray, Father, in the name of Jesus, that you will protect us from this COVID crisis. We pray in the name of Christ against COVID. Pray the blood of Christ over our our city, over our province, over our country, over our world. And I pray, God, that our prayer lives would be strengthened by you so that when the crises come, you can work in us and to work through us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.